0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I think when you look at this group, in general, we, we're, we're talking about, uh, at their particular positions, all really competent guys, you know, like, so we've got we got versatile guys here, and these are guys that are gonna be big, good-looking guys when they put those pads on and walk on the field, so I'm excited about Kind of, a, if I could go position by position and talk like this, but that, that's what we earmarked. That's what we wanted, and in, in those cases right there, that's what we got.
1: And that's at the stage here for this post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. We gave Robin Washett the week off, as this will be a straight-up one-hour show of just recruiting talk and. Nebraska finishes with 20 recruits total in this 2017 recruiting class. They finished top 20, uh, number 20 overall in the final Rivals.com team rankings, uh, good for fifth in the Big Ten, number one in the Big Ten West. Ohio State, Michigan were the clear runaway winners in the Big Ten. And then uh, Penn State had a really solid class, and then Maryland was right behind them in Nebraska, uh, not too far behind Maryland. But nonetheless, I think, Nate, when you just break down the sum of this 20, um, you know, they wanted to get 22. Um, they had 22 openings. They kept it at 20, and I think it was a unique strategy because they could have filled those last couple spots. They could even have maybe oversigned by one or two and and uh, banked on some attrition. But they wanted to go for quality over quantity and, and kind of sit on those final scholarships here as you look at this class.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Qu- Quality over quantity is is something that came up, and and the fact that um, you know Mike Riley said sometimes it's kind of nice to have a couple openings because you can either you know reward some walk-ons, you can either kind of put yourself out there in the transfer market and kind of be advantageous, you know, if anything like that comes up. So um, it gives you a little bit of flexibility sometimes to to have a couple open spots. I I think for the most part, that's not necessarily Mike Riley. I think that, uh, you know, from what we've seen so far, what their attitude has been since they arrived here, it's been to try and maximize the class. Uh, maximize the roster each and every way uh, that you can but at the same time you're not gonna it doesn't make sense to take guys to take guys and and to make a couple late reaches you know a a couple weeks before signing day um, with some guys that you have no established relationship with you don't know what their character is like uh, and you're not exactly sure you know how how they are athletically do they even fit into your program that well uh, just because there's a lack of information so Uh, I don't think they're prepared to do that and and they'll save those spots and they'll they'll either be able to to use them in next year's class which is going to be pretty small or like I said be maybe take advantage of of uh, you know the grad transfer market or or the just a couple other transfers out there
1: yeah you start to look at next year Nate and you know breaking down the numbers um on Wednesday night after all the guys signed I mean Tanner Lee goes back to the junior class. So there's technically only 13 scholarship seniors on the roster. Then there's two openings. So today, right now, they'd have 15 openings. We know that attrition is going to take place. And that number will probably grow 18 to 19 uh, by the time signing day rolls around next year. But uh, numbers will be scarce next year. And I'm sure... That went into the conversation. We don't want to overload and take a fourth receiver of just somebody that we don't even know if he's going to be better than the guys we have. We'd rather hold that for a better group of receivers next year, um, hold that for some better corners next year when we gra- when Nebraska graduates three corners that are all, you know, t- two of them are, are starting type guys. So there will be some big needs they have to look at uh, going forward. You're listening here uh, to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus and Nate, you know, when you break down uh, these final uh, rivals rankings, I thought it was a real interesting trend. You look at kind of how the top eight teams in those rankings, uh, led by Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Florida State, Oklahoma, LSU, etc., really kind of separated themselves from the pack. It was almost like they all decided to take two or three or four additional four and five star guys from the rest of everybody else. And um, you know, I think there's a clear gap in classes when you break down these final rankings.
2: Yeah, there really is. the The top five or six teams in the country really cleaned it up, uh, especially when you look at, at five star prospects. There's only about thirty five stars in the entire nation, and between Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, um, you know, they signed well over half of the available five stars in the entire country. Um, and then you look at a team like Stanford who only signed a a class of 14 players, but they had three five stars, uh, in their recruiting class. So that's pretty impressive. But, uh, yeah, that, the the top group in the overall team rankings, I I think, um, they, they definitely separated themselves. There's. After you get past USC, there's about a 200 point gap, um, you know, between six and seven, and then you kind of get into that middle tier group of Oklahoma, LSU, and Florida. there's a
1: 250 gap from eight to nine.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's when it really starts to to kind of uh, you know clear out and, and separate. But uh, those teams at the very top are are all super impressive, and and I'll tell you what, the Alabama and Ohio State. They set some records in terms of uh, points. all-time points uh, in, a, in a single recruiting class. Those, those two recruiting classes between those two schools are, are some of the all-time best classes uh, in the Rivals.com era.
1: Yeah, Alabama signed 28 guys, 7 five-stars, 18 four-stars. <laughs> when you break down the numbers, uh, they've had the number one-ranked recruiting class on Rivals eight of the last ten years. One of those years they were the number two class, and then the the one year they weren't where they were number five. So it's really amazing what they've been able to put together well, when you break down those Nick Saban classes.
2: Yeah, you look at, uh, the perfect example of their class and how, how well they did this year is they um, went to a Rivals 100 defensive end and, and proposed a gray shirt to him. I mean – what what other school in the country is is uh, coming at a, a top one hundred player in the nation and, and saying, hey, look, would you be interested in gray shirting? Because we're so full in this class uh, that we can't take you. So will you delay your enrollment or enroll part time uh, next fall and then come on scholarship after next season? So um, I mean, that's that just kind of speaks to the level at which Alabama recruited in this class. Yeah, they're
1: almost four hundred points ahead of number two Ohio State and uh, a typical. Four stars worth like one thirty ish, one forty ish. So that kind of gives you an idea of the gap in points there. They are over six hundred points better than number three Georgia. So um, it is uh, like you said, a clear runaway for the Crimson Tide with these rankings. But this is interesting, Nate. When you break down this the final class rankings, Nebraska is ahead of UCLA. They're ahead of Clemson. They're ahead of Washington, who was in the College Football Playoff with Chris Peterson. Ahead of Arkansas. Uh, They're ahead of Louisville. Virginia Tech, and Texas. I mean, I know Tom Herman um, has some work ahead of him, but uh, a lot of teams that, you know, Old Miss was all the way down to 39, had a very average class, obviously, with the NCAA stuff looming over them. But, um, you know, Nebraska finished ahead of a lot of teams that have, you know, several recruiting geographical advantages over them.
2: Yeah, uh, there's no question about it, and I think out of the schools that you just mentioned, I think Texas is, uh, you know, probably the school that had the biggest disappointment down the stretch. Everyone was excited about Tom Herman coming aboard, and they lost out on three five stars over the last week, week and a half, uh, that were really just right down the road from Austin, um, and and that's, I mean, that's a tough blow uh, to you. They lost out on a four star offensive linemen from austin to ucla that ucla just offered a week and a half ago and they don't even have an offensive line coach at ucla right now because they fired adrian clem so um they they lost on signing day alone there's about three or four guys that they that they missed out on so it was a, a tough way for the longhorns to kind of close out this recruiting class I, I know that uh um you know tom herman i i think that he's going to be able to get it done there but uh, you know, for all the Nebraska fans to say, man, we never have you know, any luck on signing day. We always get, you know, <laughs> punched in the gut. Uh, I, think, uh, I think if you take a step back and look at how things play out at some other programs, especially this year, uh, that's not necessarily true. There's other teams that kind of go through that as well.
1: And mark my word, Nate, Texas will have a big year next year. I mean, they will have a big recruiting class. They've got a good team coming back. I mean, it's all set up for Herman next season.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it is, and and, uh, and once they start having a little bit of success on the field, um, I think that will really help their recruiting efforts as well. But uh, but I tell you what, they the way they closed out yesterday was highly disappointing. If you're a Longhorn fan, as
1: we wrap it up here in the Big Ten West, Nebraska far and away the the leader over Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, the Huskers had. Uh, three hundred plus point leads over both the Badgers and the Hawkeyes, but their fans will say, "Who cares? That's how it is every year, and we still beat you." Um, and, and that they've got a point. I mean, Nebraska still has not really consistently beaten those two teams, even though they typically are ahead of them in the rankings. Uh, one that was kind of a surprise, Nate, uh, was Minnesota all the way down at number twelve. They signed twenty six guys, um, and and you know they only scored twelve hundred and forty five points in the final rankings, a two point five eight star average. Uh, P.J. Fleck has his work cut out for him, um, you know, as they signed a a lot of guys in this class, but more a Mac level recruiting class. Same goes for Purdue. I mean, Purdue's number uh, was 14 in the Big Ten as far as ranking and uh, their point total is comparable to what a Mac school's point total would be.
2: Yeah, I think you have to. Well, first and foremost, that's. That's not out of the ordinary for those two programs to finish towards the bottom of the Big Ten, and I do think you have to cut them a little bit of slack since they had new coaches, especially Fleck at Minnesota because that was a whole new staff. I know that at least at Indiana they promoted from within, but um, with Fleck, uh, I'm willing to reserve judgment until next year until he has an entire cycle to recruit there.
1: All right, well, when we come back, we're going to start the breakdown of the class we're going to go through the offensive guys here in our next segment, then we'll do defense, and we'll take some questions from you in the mailbag, and then we'll look ahead in our final segment here uh, to kind of what the plans are, what the needs are for 2018. That's all next here in this special post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show,
0: your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think when you go back to that, that sparked a lot of momentum for the Huskers with this recruiting class. I think that Keyshawn Jr. is somewhat of a magnet, and the other guy that's a magnet with him at his high school is uh, Jebbia. You know, that was a good deal for us too. So we got Tristan, we got Keyshawn, and then the other receiver that is a really, really dynamic player is Ty John Lindsay. And, and so we love that group. Yeah, maybe we would like to have one or two more guys. But like I said, you know, when you get a lot of guys in one class and then you start trying to fit them into play, it becomes a little tougher. So we're going to say this is the perfect number and go forward with it. And we love these guys. So it, it worked out
1: real well. And welcome back here to this special post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as you heard head coach Mike Riley kind of talking about the movement of Calabrasca, how – Guys like Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Tristan Jebia really paved the way for later in this class for Tyjon Lindsey, and then even Elijah Blades, the four California natives. And yes, Nebraska does consider Tyjon a California guy, even though he played for Bishop Gorman. Um, they they list him as a Corona California native, and that's where he was going to play until he was essentially almost a paid mercenary to go play for uh, Gorman this year. Then he is back in California, more or less.
2: Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of an odd situation where he... Uh, you know, he went to Gorman for a couple of years and then was going to transfer back to Corona Centennial. And then, you know, about a week or so before the season started, he got word that he was probably not going to be granted eligibility. So he was going to miss part of his senior year or, or almost, you know, it, over half or, or more of his senior season. So he decided to transfer back to Gorman uh, for his senior year. Ended up missing uh, all but three games due to injury. But, yeah, so that's kind of a – it was an interesting situation how that all played out.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. It is uh, Super Bowl weekend, so make sure you get on into Tanner's. Enjoy some wings – uh as you get ready for the big game here on Sunday and then any one of those five locations in Omaha and Lincoln uh will be your place to want to watch the game don't have the party at home uh, don't have a mess to clean up you'll uh, enjoy the game on all the big screens and projectors uh, and and, uh, take things in here on this final football weekend of the year Uh, but Nate let's let's go through this breakdown of the offensive class um let's start off Briefly with Tristan Jebia and, 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 and kind of what he brings. He's already here on campus. Uh, you heard Billy Devaney on the Huskers.com show. This talk about how he's a gym rat. They call him a sponge. He's in the offices constantly. And um, you just get the sense he's going to be a good fit in this program and brings a lot of just maturity elements uh, that are going to help him grow here fast.
2: Well, I think he's going to be a great fit, and and it has, and a lot of that has nothing to do with his athletic ability. I think it's when you talk with Tristan Jebia you can tell that he plays the quarterback position. He's he's a very mature young man. He's very intelligent. Uh, he carries himself with a little bit of, a, you know, a little bit of a swagger. You can tell he's a leader. Um, you know he has all those kind of intangible qualities that, that you'd like to see out of a quarterback and then um, you know like like Billy Devaney was saying he's a gym rat he he totally loves football everything about football he's uh, immerses himself into the game as far as watching film and breaking things down and working out and doing all the little things uh, that can help you get better um, and I think a lot of that comes from the way that he's been brought up out in California you know if you're wanting to be a big time quarterback you work with these quarterback gurus you, you go to different camps all the time you're always playing seven on seven you're always doing something to improve yourself and and that's been Tristan Jebia uh, for the long time and now uh, you don't end up throwing you know the the second most yards in California state high school football history uh, unless you are you know a pretty darn good quarterback and, and I think that's what Nebraska's getting in him
1: now just one running back and Jalen Bradley uh, the Huskers have Five on scholarship, but one of those being Adam Taylor, who's really not uh, in the mix as a guy to be uh, you know, a running back. So kind of a need still going forward. They were trying to get two, but uh, as long as Jalen academically gets things squared away, and we think he will, Nate, um, he appears to be uh, an excellent addition and one of the best in-state talents we've seen at this position Maybe since David Horn.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a great pickup, and he's probably a guy that doesn't get talked about as much as he should. Just because there were, you know, some he got that later offer. There were some questions surrounding his academic situation and things of that nature. So I feel like he kind of flew under the the radar of the fans for the most part. Uh, but he's a special talent. He's as talented as any running back in this Midwest region. Uh, definitely one of the all-time greats. I think uh, there's no question about that when you look at his production uh, in terms of of uh, Nebraska high school football. So um, I, I think he's got a bright future. Uh, you just you keeping your fingers crossed right now, though, that that everything goes well this last semester and that he qualifies. Uh, I do know Nebraska was would have would like to have been able to add another running back in the class. Um, not because not only because they they liked uh, another running back down the stretch from CJ Verdell that ended up sticking with Oregon, but uh, also as a little bit of an insurance policy just in case things don't uh, work out with Jalen Bradley. Now
1: receiver, you look at the numbers um, they're really light on the on the depth chart they continue they're gonna have to continue to hammer uh, the receiver position with their recruiting but they took in three receivers this year. Uh, pound for pound, man for man. It's as good of a group of three as Nebraska's ever signed.
2: There's no question about that. Three, three four-star prospects. Um, you know, you can make a case that Tyjohn Lindsay is a five-star player, a five-star athlete. Uh, I think if he were just a couple inches taller, he probably would have been a five-star prospect in in rivals' his eyes. Uh, but he's as dynamic of a playmaker as they come in the entire nation. Uh, has has uh, proven himself at Bishop Gorman. Uh, they've been three-time national, you know, the mythical high school f- football national championship. Uh, you know, they play, you know, country coast to coast against the best teams in the country, um, and and the kid's a winner. He hasn't lost a game in, in three or four years of. His his high school football career so um, and then you look at, at what Javon McQuitty and, and Keyshawn Johnson Jr. brings to the table. Um, I really like the addition of McQuitty from the 500-mile radius. And then Mike Riley talked about uh, Keyshawn Jr. being a magnet. But also, he's a very, very polished quarter or wide receiver. Uh, I think he understands a position as well as any recruit that I've seen uh, in quite a long time. So, very dynamic group. Um, and I like the fact – you know, I know five was the target number, but – if Nebraska signs five wide receivers in this class and then they only have room to take one next year, all of a sudden on the distribution chart, you're kind of, you're kind of lopsided and you're going through this. Mess. You're basically
1: hoping that somebody transfers out. That's not good. And, yeah, and that's, that's banking on a lot. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to, you know, and and it, the, the, it really goes back to the last couple years, Nate. I mean, they, they missed on some guys and, last year particularly, they needed to get more than just J.D. Spielman, who's still here. Mm-hmm. And then in Mike Riley's first kind of half recruiting cycle class, uh, they they struck out there as well. I mean, you, you maybe look back at it now, and would a C.J. Johnson have been a benefit to have in this program for depth you know, when, you, when you look at uh, how things played out? So now they're kind of trying to uh, play catch up with, with their numbers.
2: Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, it's been back-to-back years where Keith Williams has kind of been spurned by a – by a highly touted wideout, you know, uh, two years ago it was Des Fitzpatrick, this year it was Jameer Calvin, um, you know, both drama-filled recruitments down the stretch, um, you know, and, and kind of left Nebraska high and dry. And I know that that with the way that Keith Williams recruits, he, he sets his sights very high, and, uh, you know, whereas maybe he would have been able to fill this class full of, you know, five three-star wide receivers, I, I think he was going after the best of the best. Um, but I've got no question that, that he's going to be able to have some success in next year, especially I, once we see the passing game improve. I, I know for a fact that there was some negative recruiting from a lot of other schools out there um, saying, hey, Nebraska can't. You know, pass the football. You watch Tommy Armstrong throw the football. You know, you're, you know, uh, just uneducated hot takes. Uneducated, yeah, <laughs> basically. But you know, when you're in a living room and you're, you're, um, you're doing whatever it takes to to get a kid away from Nebraska or whoever, you're gonna throw some stuff out there and see if it sticks. And and I know for a fact that, um, you know, that was a a big question that that kids had is okay. Well, who's your quarterback? Do you have anyone who can throw better? You know, what what's your pass game gonna look? look like when I get on campus so those are legitimate questions
1: now we're kind of running out of time here as we look at the offense but uh two tight ends Kurt Raftell Austin Allen a fullback Ben Miles and then they took four offensive linemen Nate um when you break down the numbers Brock Bando formerly from Lincoln Southeast Brendan Hymas um who many feel is the best guy in this class on the O-line Mike Cavanaugh said he will be a left tackle no doubt about it Uh, Matt Sichterman has the versatility to play guard, tackle, maybe even center at 6'5", and then Chris Walker. Now, Huskers.com listed Chris Walker at 6'8". I, I don't know if that's accurate. <laughs> no. um, I think he's 6'6". Six, six. We've measured him at our own events. If he's 6'8", I'm like, man, Leiden Murther was 6'11". But uh, it's a good group uh, of linemen. Nate, 17 scholarship offensive linemen going into next year. That's 20% of the distribution right now on the 85 that goes to the offensive line, and they technically only have eighty-three, so it's more than twenty percent right now. Is uh, going to that O line.
2: Well, th- that w- that's been a big job for for Mike Cavanaugh to kind of reshape that that whole position group, and and I feel like in the last two classes he's added a lot of the same type of players in terms of. Um, adding guys that that play with an attitude that are that are big, tough, nasty dudes out there, um, and and in this class, you know, he he needed to add some tackle bodies, I, I think um you know brendan hymas and matt Sichterman might be the two sleepers of the class in my opinion i I think kavanaugh did one heck of a job in evaluating these guys um i like the fact that they're big tall lean guys they're not sloppy 330 pound dudes that are going to come in and that you're going to have to you know get them to bust their tail to drop 50 pounds and then kind of build them back up so um and i and i like the way that they play i like i like the The programs that they come from, they come from winning programs. Uh, Brandon Hymas, for example, comes from a Lake Travis program that just won a state title in the state of Texas at the highest classification. So he has played some really, really good football, played a lot of good football. Um, so I'm excited about that group. Um, and I'm also excited about the the tight ends. You, you have a 6'7 guy in Kurt Raftall, 6'8 guy in Austin Allen. And they then, need some
1: of those guys to step up.
2: Absolutely. Because uh, you, lo- you lose three seniors from last year's team. And then um, I think Husker fans are going to love watching Ben Miles. I, I think he's a kid that's going to see early playing time on – in his career and be a heck of a player for Nebraska. All right,
1: when we come back, we're going to shift over to defense as the Huskers took eight defensive players in this class, seven of them on the front seven, just one guy in the secondary. We'll give our thoughts on that next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This
0: is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think that uh, John did a great job with these guys, and Guy Thomas obviously had many, many options and took a trip as of as late as this last weekend. We did not know for sure what was gonna happen, but John was confident. John did uh, what I think is probably the most important thing in in recruiting, he he built up a great deal of trust with Guy. And so they talked pretty openly and John felt confident, made us all feel good about it, and then Guy ended up signing with us. So we appreciate that. And and, uh, Damien, he recruited long and hard, long period of time, and uh, you know, I can tell the kind of work that's been done when I when I end up getting my time to go in the home and the groundwork that's been laid, it becomes pretty easy. John did an outstanding job with all that group.
1: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley talking about the job that first-year defensive line coach John Perella did on the recruiting trail. Um, and arguably, he had the biggest signing day for Nebraska. He solidified and closed Guy Thomas, who... Nate, I'll give it to you and Mike Mattia. You guys called that he was going to be this year's Quayshawn Alexander, mm-hmm. the guy that you really couldn't read, but at the end was just going to sign with Nebraska. And and that's what happened. And we know a lot of guys around the network that we work with, and and they all thought that – or not Quayshawn, but they all thought that guy was coming their way, so – uh, similar to kind of Quayshon last year,
2: yeah, a lot of similarities there. The only difference is that Quayshon Alexander actually visited Nebraska in June for an unofficial visit, whereas Guy Thomas uh, committed to Nebraska sight unseen and, and didn't didn't take any trips during the football season, uh, and actually took a couple other official visits before making it to Nebraska, and then he took a couple more trips afterwards, but. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, like Mike Riley kind of said there, John Perella did a great job recruiting him. He built an awful lot of trust there. And, and you know, let's face it, Guy Thomas had a lot of people in his ear – Uh, I think pulling him a lot of different directions. But um, when push came to shove, I I think he leaned on John Perella and the relationship and the trust that he had with him. And uh, and that's what it came down to. And I know uh, his head football coach said yesterday morning that, um, you know, before Guy Thomas got on campus, he still didn't know – where he was going to sign with. So, um, I mean, that kind of tells you how fluid it was leading up to that. But
1: And on that Huskers.com live feed, there was a moment in the morning where Perella got up and high-fived yep. a bunch of people, and, and that clearly was probably when they got the word, right?
2: Yeah, that was most definitely when, uh, when they got the word there uh, because it, pretty much everybody else they knew. Obviously, Damian Daniels was uh, – They kind of had
1: that one at least – in the oven. They knew it was it was yeah. coming.
2: I mean, it, you can never count on a, a silent commit, but he had been a silent commit for an awful long time, had shut down you know, visits, shut down in-home visits, so on and so forth. So you, I know they felt pretty comfortable about that. But, uh, but yeah, with Guy Thomas, it was still a really fluid situation. But a uh, huge pickup for, for John Perella to get a four-star D-end out of Miami.
1: And then Damian Daniels picks Nebraska on National Signing Day. Uh, they hold on to DeAndre Thomas out of Oklahoma, who Notre Dame, among others, made a late push at. Uh, he even said that if another team came in late with an offer, he might consider them. We didn't know for sure, but that might have been Oklahoma, Nate. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I feel like it was probably Oklahoma. I know he's got a cousin that plays basketball there. Um, you know, and, and when you're an Oklahoma kid, obviously you probably grow up following the Sooners and, and Cowboys and, um, you know, most definitely the Sooners, I, I think. And, and, you know, it, it'd be hard to turn down an offer from them. Uh, but Nebraska, again, John Perelli did a heck of a job with Deontre because, when he was one of the first big schools to offer him, and when, when the offer went out, I think a lot of people were like, boy, this is an un- undersized guy. You know, what are you know what's John Perella doing here? Uh, because there was already a ton of questions about, okay, yeah, we like John Perella, but can he recruit with the big boys? Well, um, not only can he recruit with the big boys, but I think he proved that he's a very good evaluator too because DeAndre Thomas went from being kind of an undersized coach you know, defensive tackle to to having an, an unreal senior season and having an awful lot of attention come his way down the stretch like you mentioned Notre Dame making a push there uh at the very end you yeah know, that's that's a big deal and uh and, and he was able to to hang on to all those guys
1: and I think when Husker fans evaluate assistant coach openings the number one thing they they think about is can the guy recruit I mean everyone has this fantasy of Tosh Lapoy or Ed Orgeron or, you know, some big name guy. But what I've learned, Nate, is if you're young and you're hungry and you give a you know what, you're going to be a good recruiter. And, and we've seen that on this staff with John Perella in a limited period of time with Dante Williams, with Trent Bray, uh, Keith Williams, etc., um, that if you're a, a young, hungry guy that maybe doesn't have the background of a Tosh or whoever, sometimes you just need to have the product to be able to sell. And I think these guys have shown that if they have a product they can sell, they can recruit with anybody.
2: Yeah, you have to like recruiting. It's recruiting just doesn't happen. You have to be passionate about it, and and then when you when you mix that with a place like Nebraska that actually has all these different resources, tradition, history, facilities, everything to to help you sell. Uh, when you combine that with a passion for recruiting, I think the there's no. You know, there's no limit telling, you know, saying what, what you can or can't accomplish. Uh, and I think that's what Nebraska has kind of gotten with a guy like John Perella. He's a high energy guy. Kids relate to him. He's got a tremendous resume, um, which is something that every kid has mentioned yeah, especially along the D line that, hey, you know what? I'm going to listen to this guy because he not only played at Nebraska, but he played in the NFL for 10 plus years and, and was a veteran there. So he could help me get there. Uh, but all these guys have a personality, they're passionate about recruiting and they Im- have embraced everything that Nebraska has to offer.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we are breaking down the defensive class here for Nebraska. Just a total of 8 guys. We just talked about your defensive linemen. Uh, they signed three linebackers as well on this class. Uh Andrew Ward, um Willie Hampton and then and then um uh, a- Avery, Roberts. Avery Roberts. Excuse me. I was had a little brain hiccup there. Uh, but three guys total um, Twelve on scholarship. That's where they want that number to be, but still a lot of questions. Nate, now going forward, who fits where in this three-four defense, and and how these new guys fit? Uh, whether it's that outside linebacker, that inside linebacker, how many guys will have their hand in the ground? Who plays nose, et cetera. So it will be interesting. But um, just your your brief thoughts on that on that group of linebackers.
2: Well, Avery Roberts is definitely the kind of the. The crown jewel of that group. I mean, he's a a top 100 recruit. Um, you know, they built, they beat out a lot of people. This is a kid who had 40-plus offers, uh, for, you know, could pretty much pick wherever he wanted to go to school, which is rare for a kid out of Delaware uh, to be such a highly recruited kid. But you turn on the, the tape and, and you see exactly why when you watch him play. He's a tremendous athlete, uh, tremendous football player. I mean, the, the instincts of this guy. I mean, he's got all the physical attributes, but the instincts um, that he has to, to go along with his physical attributes – uh, is is something pretty special, and I think a kid that could play early on in his football career, um, you know, and it ended up coming down to to uh, Nebraska and Penn State, and, and Trent Bray won that battle over Penn State, which is usually a battle the Nittany Lions don't uh, don't typically lose, but. Um, And then you have to like the the athleticism of a Willie Hampton. He's got great size, great measurables, uh, tests off the charts. uh, But he's going to have to learn how to play the game. I think he's a little bit of a project in terms of uh, molding him into a linebacker. But I tell you what, athletically, he might be the most gifted kid in this recruiting class. And then Andrew Ward coming out of Michigan. Um, another one of those players that plays at a at a big time uh, high school football program has been super super productive um, in in his past in his high school career and that's one thing Mike Riley always says is the greater predict or the greatest predictor of future success is past success or something along those lines and and uh, the numbers that that Andrew Ward has put up are are just mm-hmm. amazing but it's going to be fascinating to see just how much things change along that front seven going forward with this new defense uh, in terms of numbers uh, and where who fits where and, um, you know, numbers as far as, you know, how many how many D tackles does Nebraska want to carry on its roster, how many DNs, how many outside linebackers. How, who, many yeah, how, linebackers.
1: how that puzzle will yeah, go together. It's
2: going to be – that's really, really going to change, and, and Bob Diaco is going to have his fingerprints all over every new offer uh, of, of, of a front seven prospect that goes out. There's no question about that. And then
1: lastly, as we wrap it up here on Defensive Talk, just one guy in the secondary, Elijah Blades. But this was really big, Nate, just because people don't necessarily remember how you start, it's how you finish. And he closed the day um, at 3.15 or whatever it was, 45 minutes before Mike Riley gave his address with a commit to Nebraska. He's a Rivals Top 100 corner. And just through my experience, that last kind of announcement, can really swing the news cycle of the class. And it was huge to me that they got him as their 20th guy on the boat.
2: Yeah, if Elijah Blades picks USC or Oregon or, or says, I'm going back to Florida, the the whole narrative on signing day is completely different. They're um, out of the top 25. They're, they're, I owe it, most definitely out of the top 25. Uh, Elijah Blades is a top 100 overall prospect. Uh, he's a number seven corner in the country, um, 87th best player in the nation. Uh, and he's a special prospect when you look at it. At, at, uh, uh, him being a quarterback at, at 6'3", 180 pounds, I mean, those types of guys don't grow on trees. So uh, he's he's a definitely a, a special get there. And Nebraska had limited numbers at that defensive back position. They they only needed one for sure, maybe two if they got the right guy. You know, if they were able to land a guy like Greg Johnson or Diamador Lenore, uh, you would take them. But um, you, you only you only took one in this class, you're going to have a big need in next year's class, but I tell you what Don- give Dante Williams an entire cycle to recruit um, and uh, and I, I promise you we're going to be raving about the defensive backs that, that he brings into next year's class uh, because he's got some serious connections already some guys on the hook, I tell you that
1: Alright, when we come back we're going to take your questions lots of questions this week in the post-signing day mailbag, we'll bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson in as we take those next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. There are some of these things you can't predict. So do I with the way things are going in recruiting and the commitments, decommitments, and the flipping and all that, you know that this this basically was instigated by him. I thought it was real, came back with time we didn't take anything like right then no all come to you we didn't even take that we just took our time with it and then he we weren't even aware of the fact that he had recommitted to us and on friday we were in the plane got off and the phones all had it on there that this had happened so what do you do what do you what do you say to that
1: and that was nebraska head coach mike riley just giving his thoughts of the soap opera that ended up playing out with four-star wide receiver Jameer Calvin, who Mike Riley said committed to him three times, which he jokingly said, by the way, might be a first. Uh, But Jameer Calvin, his latest commit came Friday, um, and the staff wasn't even aware of the commit happening Friday. He announced it on Twitter, but then on Monday, he was already ready to part ways with that commit, um, and now he will spend his college life in Pullman, Washington. So I wish Jameer the best of luck Living in the lovely metropolis of Pullman, Washington. But let's bring in Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson as we take your questions this week here in the mailbag. Matt, you got a busy, uh, full bag for us. Let's start it off. What do you have?
3: Yeah, that first question is about Calvin. And how surprised were you that Mike Riley addressed that situation in yesterday's press conference? And how frustrated do you think he was with that whole situation? I'm not
2: surprised that he addressed it. I think I'm surprised at how far he kept going with it. And you could tell he wanted to even go deeper down that hole. Um, you know, I, I think he kept it respectful, though. He never he never mentioned Jameer's name. So, you know – Everyone knew who he was talking about, but he never publicly threw the kid completely under the bus. Uh, but there's no question he's frustrated by that. Anytime with the way that the the Jameer Calvin you know, recruitment unfolded, um, I, I think I think you I don't blame him for being frustrated. It was it was frustrating for a guy like myself to cover, and, and I wasn't personally invested in recruiting the kid like the coaches are. So, I mean, they spent a ton of money, ton of uh, manpower, whatever, a ton of resources flying out to California to visit him, having him fly out to Nebraska for his official visit, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think Mike Riley did a good job at, at kind of conveying some frustration there but, but also kind of, Still taking the high road,
1: and that was about as upset as you'll see Mike yeah. Riley. I mean, it's hard to kind of rustle his jimmies, but uh, Jameer Calvin, I think, did a pretty good job of rustling Mike Riley's jimmies over the recruiting process. But all right, next question: What do you have, Matt?
3: Well, Calvin ended up as the one decommitment on signing day from the Huskers since they kept Guy Thomas. So let's focus on this current signing class. Three questions: Who's your sleeper? Who doesn't redshirt next year? Give me one guy who you, who might. We think redshirt now, but ends up not redshirting. And who is a future first-rounder in the NFL?
1: Um, Tyjon Lindsey is the guy that doesn't redshirt. I'm sure I took Nate from him, but I think it's an obvious one that he could start at slot. I'm going to say, I mean, it's it's hard to call Jaime's a sleeper because some people have him as a four-star, but um, I still believe Chris Walker will will be a productive player here, whether it's on offense or defense. He is the lowest-ranked guy in the class Uh, first rounder, I'll say Hymas. I think he could be one of those guys that, you know, really develops into a pro style uh, type of left tackle. Um, And and I like his athletic ability and his makeup.
2: Boy, I I think uh, as far as – red shirts go. Um I'm gonna say Ben Miles is a kid that does not redshirt. I think he plays and plays quite a bit right away. Um as far as uh, a potential future first rounder, uh you know what? I I think I'm gonna go with uh, Tristan jebbia there. I, I think I think he's got a pedigree. Um, you know, if he can continue to to develop Physically, I think he's got the pedigree to eventually, uh, you know, be in the conversation for that. We'll see what happens. Just kind of throwing, throwing something out there. I, I really like uh, Tristan Jebia. And then one of my sleepers in this class, um, you know, I, I think is is probably a guy like DeAndre Thomas uh, who um, – I think he plays fairly early on in his career and has a very outstanding career uh, at Nebraska. He's uh, not very often. He's he's a high motor guy first and foremost. He's gonna. I mean, he fits in with John Perella like a like a glove. Uh, they're both high energy, high high uh, high motor guys. But he's also very flexible. I think he could play anywhere across that front uh, three and. Um, and he's a 270-pound kid that runs a 4.640, So he's an extremely gifted athlete.
1: All right, we have plenty of time here still for some more questions. What do you have, Matt Reynolds, as we take the questions here in the Husker Online mailbag?
3: Well, a lot was made about Nebraska undersigning by two in this class, having room for 22, and taking 20. So a lot of people are wondering what happened with Michael Anyamayobi, Tony Wallace, and Jeremiah Hawkins uh, committed to, or at least at one time committed to Pac-12 schools. So let's start with the defensive backs first. And earlier in the
2: show, I kind of mentioned that they had the need for at least, at the very least, one. And um, and I think they they could have they could have had Anya Mayobi or Tony Wallace if they wanted them. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I feel like Nebraska had either one of those guys or both of those guys on the hook if they really wanted them. But it comes down to numbers, um, and, and I think that. When you look at when you look at taking a guy like like Anjai Mayobi or a Wallace late in the game, that probably means that you're going to be able to take one less kid in the 2018 class. And I I'm I'm convinced that the Dante Williams is going to sign one of the better DB classes that that we've seen in a long time at Nebraska for 2018. I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on him, uh, but I honestly feel like he already has a couple guys on the hook. Uh, so with that. Being said,
3: I, I think that uh, you don't take you don't take a guy just to take a guy. There's a lot of talk now about the talent in California, Texas, and Florida. And there was a post on our board that this question, I believe, was kind of piggybacking off of that there were that most of the five stars are concentrated in California, Texas, and Florida. And so, with the inroads the staff has in California, will they match the efforts and connections in Texas and Florida?
1: It's tough in recruiting when when you. You know, you just don't know what, like as Mike Riley said, you've got to find out what kid is interested in exploring the world, what kid wants to leave the area. And, and that is maybe the challenge. He he made a joke. If we would have known that Stanford was Foster Sorrell's dream school, maybe we wouldn't have recruited him as hard as we did and, and spent so much time and resource on Foster Sorrell. um, Because all along, maybe in his mind, he was going to commit to Stanford. So um, I think a lot of it, Matt, is, is just finding out which, Guys really are interested in getting on a plane and traveling to different parts of the country and living there for four to five years.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. You have to. I think one of the first things that you have to find out is if a kid truly loves football or not. Because if you don't love football um, and you're living in inner city L.A. or or Houston or Miami, um, then then you're not, you're going to move to Nebraska and you're not going to be very happy. So I think you have to find kids that are driven, that love football and aren't afraid of leaving home and, and doing something new for 4 or 5 years and then, you know, and then kind of getting back to wherever they want to go.
1: All right, we got time for one more here in the mailbag as we take your questions this week here on the Husker online show.
3: Big picture question here. Uh, with all this recruiting talk, it has to translate to results on the field. So, do the last two classes have enough quality to make Nebraska have Nebraska make some noise again on the national stage?
1: I think when you look at it, it's all about the end of the line. I mean, I, I think you can get really carried away. You want immediate, quick results. But you think about Bill Callahan had those two great classes in 05 and 06. And the residual effects of winning Big 12 titles on those classes did not come through until 2009 and 2010 when those guys were juniors and seniors. So um, I think a lot of it is you got to let these guys mature and blossom and develop in the program um, down the road. But, you know, the reality of it is Nebraska's recruiting ranking over the last seven, eight years has been more in that 25 to 32 range. And that's about where this team is ranked nationally. They have always been kind of. In that twenty-five to thirty-ish range, uh, just outside the top twenty-five or barely in the top twenty-five, this is a top twenty class, um, and you know you got to put another one like this together, and then it would give them, I feel, three solid recruiting classes in a row. Um, Because I think when we look at it, I think Nate might agree that very first year of recruiting, the one where you know they only had half the you know the the the, the limited cycle, that class doesn't look like it's going to be as productive as you would like it to be.
2: Yeah, and those classes are never as productive as you'd like it to be. That's why I said earlier in the show I'm I'm willing to give a guy like uh, Coach Fleck there at at Minnesota a pass because – uh, to piece together a recruiting class in in you know five weeks or so is, is always a difficult task. But I tell you what, I, I do like what Nebraska's done these past two recruiting classes. I think it's a great foundation. But now you have to build on that on that twentieth class of this year. I think you have to build on that um, and do just a little bit better next year. Uh, I really like the the what they've done on the offensive and defensive lines in, in these past two classes. Um, I think they're they're building on some good. things. Things there, especially all those offensive linemen that they were able to keep redshirts on last year, and the quarterback position and skill positions, I think are are much improved. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch these these last two classes kind of grow and mature here over the next two or three years.
1: Well, Matt, I hope you enjoyed your first signing day uh, with us here. It's always uh, one of those days you'll never forget. I-, I can promise you, it was my 18th, and I know Nate's been through many on both sides of it now in the media and. Formerly in in the uh, the coaching administration world, so uh, hope you enjoyed your first one, buddy.
3: Yeah, it was absolutely a blast going to three cities, covering three great commits, and so and and a great walk on in uh, Jordan Pop, and so that was really cool experience for my first one, and hope to have many more.
1: All right, well, when we come back, we're going to close the show with some big picture thoughts as we start to look ahead to 2018. That's next. Here you're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're going to have to be selective as to the number of camps we have here in Lincoln, which we still want to have. And so, you know, like our Friday night lights, we want to maintain that, that situation here. And maybe there's three of those. And then, And then when we go, we have to select seven other spots that will be valuable for us in that way. And it's only staff members now. It's not any adjunct people. So you've got to be careful of how you do that. But I think it'll work. I think that rule was necessary. I think it was going haywire out there. And the fact where the camps can be, that was smart.
1: Final segment here of the Hans Line Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as as we give some big-picture thoughts here looking ahead to what's next in the world of Nebraska recruiting. And that was head coach Mike Riley. Uh, He discussed some of the changes that loom ahead and – Uh, one of them is the camp rule. And um, his clarification of that rule makes a lot more sense now. I thought initially the way it was written, uh, there was a 10-day window that you had to use over 10 consecutive days. But uh, Nebraska will be able to pick and choose 10 total days to have high school camps, which means they still can do three Friday night light camps in Lincoln and then have seven available days to do a lineman camp or any other kind of camp. And then they can still do what is called a satellite camp, but it will have to be off-campus um, at another Division I institution's campus or another NCAA member's campus. It can't be NAIA or junior colleges. Um, and only coaches that are full-time that can go on the road can work those camps, Nate. So there still is some creativity you can have uh, with potentially having a satellite camp at maybe a Group of Five school or somewhere like that.
2: Yeah, the NCAA didn't completely kill... Uh, kill it nearly as much as I thought that they did. Because I was like you. I I thought that there was only a 10-day window, and and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, well, um, they're going to have to space it out to where they get two Friday night light camps, and then they're going to have to – uh, get creative and, and trying to get guys on, on campus uh, for any other camp in between those two. But, um, you know, I, I kind of like the way that it sets up, the way Mike Riley was talking about it in terms of having 10 days to pick and choose because uh, then you can get kind of creative. Um, they're going to have to create, you know, some uh, some connections and, and start. San
1: Jose State's a given. Yeah. Um, but do they want to do a camp in Northern Cal? I mean, is, is that –
2: Calabrasca
1: I mean, or Southern Cal more Calabrasca? Uh,
2: I think Southern Cal's is probably more Calabrasca. But they've – I mean, Lamar Jackson's still a big name up in Northern California. Uh, they pulled him out of there. I, I think that – uh, there's some there's some good players up there um, and and you could possibly even pull you know some players out of Oregon Washington Idaho uh, you know the one of their top quarterback targets so far this year is is in Idaho so uh, maybe he goes to that camp I don't know but um, or, or maybe it's more likely he goes to a Friday night light camp I don't know but um, they're gonna have to kind of get get after this stuff and start creating some uh, a game plan for how they're going to utilize those 10 days. You know
1: who's going to really utilize those 10 days? I'm going to make my prediction right now is Lane Kiffin. Florida Atlantic will be a hub for big programs to come in and run one of those 10 days of camps uh, down there in Boca Raton as um, there will be a ton of players in that area, and they're a group of five schools. So, I'll call my shot now, Nate. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh will run a camp with Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic.
2: Yeah, I'm sure of it. Um, that that would not surprise me whatsoever uh, to see that happen.
1: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and you know one of the other things Mike Riley kind of pumped the brakes on is I think some people are like can you grow the Calabrasca movement going forward to more than four? And Mike Riley said actually four is about the most they want. Uh, and they want to kind of hammer in that 500-mile radius. And if you read between the tea leaves, I think most people uh, think he's talking about Missouri and places like that. You look ahead to the future, Nate, and they're saying that Missouri's 2018 and 2019 classes are the best that we've seen in 20 years. Nebraska's made six offers in Missouri. I believe there's over 25 kids in the state for 18 already that hold Division one offers.
2: Yeah, 28 players, actually, as of right now. Uh, in that 2018 class that have offers in in the state of Missouri, which is crazy to think about and that number is only going to grow I mean they haven't even we haven't even seen the spring evaluation period come and go yet so uh, that number is only going to grow and then that 2019 class is is arguably just as talented so you know Mike Riley said I want every kid from Kansas City to be on campus in the coming months and you mentioned St. Louis Um, I think it's smart you have to if you're Mike Riley and you don't make a presence in St. Louis and Kansas City and Missouri in general here. This year, starting immediately, uh, I think you're missing the boat. You're 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 screwing up big time, especially
1: with the downward trend of Missouri, and then you know Illinois is still trying to find themselves with that new coaching staff with Lovey Smith. So it is really, you know, a city that has a lot of gold that's for the taking right now.
2: yeah, there's no question. Missouri signed one in-state player this year. And
1: Nebraska probably could have had that guy if they wanted him.
2: If they want, yeah. And he's got he's a kind of an academic uh risk. So that's the main reason why Nebraska didn't offer the kid, but I mean, tell tell me the last time Missouri signed one in-state player. I don't I don't mean I bet it's been decades. Especially when you've
1: got happened. two professional sports cities in your state in St. Louis um and and obviously Kansas City. So it is, you know, and there, there was that old saying Bob Devaney joked that if a coach could take the Missouri job and get Kansas City's and St. Louis's best players, Missouri would be a really good program. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's so much difference between the two cities, um, it's hard to get everybody on the same page to come to Mizzou. But yeah, that will be a priority, and um, luckily we we are going to be running a rivals event in uh, St. Louis this year. Uh, where our in-state guys will get to go. That it hasn't been officially announced the date, but it will be in late May sometime, and uh, uh, that will be awesome just to get to see that talent in that in that area because we know what we're going to be seeing here in the future.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of guys, and Nebraska has offered a handful of them. But I tell you what, there's there's probably a legit ten other guys in that in, in St. Louis or in or around St. Louis. Uh, that are are Nebraska worthy offers as of right now I think um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this because for the most part they've been recruiting by position across the country you know certain guys do kind of take care of certain areas but I feel like St. Louis and Kansas City need to become two areas where uh, a certain coach or two is, is assigned to that area, and they just create a presence, and and every kid there knows about Nebraska. I mean, uh, Illinois they pulled, Illinois has pulled. Th- Two out of the top three, or two out of the top five kids in St. Louis this year, or, or three out of the top five. So they've done a good job of creating a presence. Uh, I know Iowa State and Iowa are also heavy in in uh, St. Louis. So the Huskers need to do the same.
1: All right, as we wrap it up here, and you look at this distribution chart for next year, as I mentioned earlier in the show, just thirteen seniors. Uh, that make up that chart right now. And uh, Tanner Lee would have been in that group, but he's going to be a junior now. They gave him a year of eligibility back. There's two openings. So technically today, 15, we know that number is going to grow. There will be some unforeseen attrition or whatever, probably gets the class closer to 18, maybe 19 uh, when it's all said and done. But, Um, There's no question. Mike Riley said this yesterday or on Wednesday that cornerback will be maybe their number one position of need, maybe receiver, but they graduate three corners. They only signed one. And of those two, uh, Chris Jones and Joshua Kalou are starting corners.
2: Yeah, I think you'll see at least three corners taken, probably three corners and a safety is is what I'm kind of penciling in as as needs right there uh, at this point in time, and then three wide receivers. So between wide receiver and defensive back, I think you're you're almost looking at close to you know to close to half your class, or uh, it's about seven players or so between those two positions. So um, and then you you factor in I think two to three offensive linemen. Um, what's really going to be interesting to me, at least being a a recruiting guy and and a scholarship number guy is, is how they approach the defensive line and, uh, in linebacker situation, just
1: one senior, uh, on the total D line right now. And that's AJ Natter. So, you know, and, and they've got so much young talent and it all comes back for 2018. So this team is Nate set up. For a run in 18. If Tanner Lee or O'Brien or Jebbia is the quarterback we think they're going to be, and um, you, you look at what they lose in 17, and you know, the kicker is a big one. And Drew Brown they've got to get it, they probably have to offer a kicker, unless yep. Cole Fromm is that good coming in as a walk on.
2: Yeah, they've got a, a place kicker penciled in as a scholarship need uh, for next year as well. So, but, but you're right, I, I think. Um, the, the corner,
1: the corners are the biggest loss on that. The, problem. Yeah, corners
2: are the biggest loss. Um, in, in that defensive line here in a couple of years is going to be pretty stout uh, because. They've they've got so much young talent there. If if uh, can develop those guys, um, you know, in a year or two, they're going to have a lot of options there. But so it's going to be. I don't know how that necessarily impacts the 2018 class, especially since they already have uh, Mastery Maypu committed, and then you've got guys like Trevor Trout, um, you know, who is a, a top target, obviously out of out of and St. May- Louis. Maypu could
1: be an old lineman too.
2: Yeah, and there's a chance that he could end up being an offensive lineman, and and maybe that would maybe he'd be better suited as an offensive lineman. I don't know, but um, I, I promise you Bob Diaco is going to have some say uh, in that in that matter uh, as far as what the what Maypew's future holds. But there are a lot of defensive linemen, defensive tackles uh, just right here in the 500-mile radius for next year.
1: Well, Nate, um, it's been fun uh, doing another recruiting year with you. I don't know about you. I'm already ready to get going for 18. Yeah. Um, that's how we operate, and that's probably why we have these jobs. But – uh 17 was fun, but let's let's get going on 18 and, and and have some fun cover another year of Husker recruiting.
2: That's right. Sometimes I feel bad because I I turn the page immediately and start looking towards <laughs> next year's class.
1: All right. Well that wraps it up here for this special signing day, post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show.
2: Thanks again for
0: joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska Athletics.